Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on May 2nd, 2021, the fifth Sunday of Easter. Good morning. Leading the announcements today are some concerns within our community. First of all, Owen Detman is home from a procedure that he had last week, and his reports are that he is coming along quite nicely, that they are being able to, you know, managing his pain, and of course it's always good to be back home. So his his back is continuing to mend, so we keep sending prayers in, in that direction for a smooth recovery on that one. And a, a bit of sad news, those of you who received the, the prayer update yesterday, Dallas Thompson did, did pass away yesterday morning. Family's currently working on a funeral at our church on May 8th, um, time to be specified. And then of course, visitation will be Friday at the Gras Funeral Home in Monona. So we continue to keep our, our prayers up for the Thompson family as they grieve the loss of Dallas and make it through this very difficult and, and awkward time uh, in, in their season of life. Are there additional announcements that we have about the food shelf or congregational life in particular? Linda, do you? Nothing? Okay. If not, then let us have our, our prelude. I invite you to join together in our invocation, which is printed in the bulletin. God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, 
whom truly to know is everlasting life. Grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow in his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are so inclined and join in our opening hymn number two. join together in our responsive reading, Psalm 22, printed in the bulletin. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust. I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And I proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it.
Good morning. Oops. The first lesson this morning is from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian Enoch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he, inv he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The Enoch asked Philip, and about whom, may I ask you, does the, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the Enoch said, look here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the Enoch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The Enoch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The epistle is from 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live with him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice of our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen him and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not have... Those who do not love a brother or a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The gospel reading for this morning comes to us from John, chapter 15, verses one through eight. This is a continuation of the interconnection between Jesus and his followers. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy gospel. Sorry. That's okay. It's just a little too much garbage in there. A little much stuff here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, I better run. Loving and most merciful God, giving you thanks for this day that you have provided for us as we gather still in the season of resurrection, we start to see signs as the, as the hymn demonstrates signs of life coming forth as we ready ourselves to return to our spring gardening routines, looking forward at the eager signs of new vegetation that will hopefully grow into a lush harvest. It's these early stages that we begin to appreciate formation. And we think back, and for some of us it's been quite a time since we first encountered the gospel. But we realize that every time we hear it, it is like a new beginning for us. To hear the words that intersect where we are at this present moment, and to find ourselves being rejuvenated by that word in this new time and place. May your grace be with us. May you renew us, strengthen us, and may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always. In your most precious name, amen. So today we have the passage from Acts, where Philip and the Ethiopian official who intersect. And a little backstory on Philip. The first time we see uh, Philip sort of arriving in the scriptures, 
is when he met Jesus and he was so excited about it that he went and told his friend Nathaniel. He was like, I think I've met a man from Nazareth who could very well be the Messiah and he wanted Nathaniel to come and Nathaniel sort of waved his hand, waved his friend off and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Will Philip said, come and see. So we have this enthusiasm that Philip demonstrates even with the calling of a fellow disciple Now, Philip is firmly established as an apostle, and the word comes to him and tells him to go up south towards down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And when Philip hears this word, he doesn't question it. He doesn't think about the destination. He doesn't think about what he's going to encounter when he gets there. He just goes. And scholars have noted Commentators have noted that on that passage right there, that's saying a lot just in those opening verses, that when the word of God comes to you, there's no hesitation. There's no moment of pause. There's no time to collect oneself and to figure out where is this going and what are we going to do. You hear the word and you go. Because obviously when God is calling, God is calling us to something incredible. So Philip goes, and he finds himself in this place where there is an Ethiopian official, someone who is obviously outside of the household of of Abraham in Jerusalem, and he's sitting in the back of the coach, obviously waiting for his, uh, his partner, the queen, the officials to return, And he's reading scripture, because that's what we all do when we pull over on the side of the road. We're not checking directions, we're (laughs) reading scripture. And this is a really interesting exchange because Philip just puts himself within the proximity outside the carriage to overhear what, what the man is reading. And he's reading this passage here that says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb he was silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the Ethiopian asks Philip, because he sees him. Obviously, this man just shows up out of nowhere. He's like, who who was this prophet speaking about? Is he speaking about himself or about someone else? This is the hook. This is the hook. This is the reason why... God said to Philip, I need you to go and do this thing. You don't know what it is yet, but trust me, you'll be able to handle it when it all comes around. So Philip goes and finds himself at a place where right now he's on the cusp of being able to illuminate and open the eyes of somebody right now who is on the cusp of entering into the faith. So it's it's a very delicate place where Philip's at, because if he messes it up, then the guy's not going to want to be invited into the household of faith. So the goal of witnessing is one in which we don't bring individuals into the house of faith on deceit or on shame or on ridicule. We bring them in on the basis of answering directly and boldly their questions. So Philip has an answer for the man. And he is invited into the carriage. And beginning and starting with the scripture, he proclaims the entire good news of Christ to the Ethiopian. And we assume that at at this journey, the carriage is now moving along and Philip is road tripping with this individual, explaining to him everything that he needs to know about this Jesus Christ. And somewhere in that invitation comes the compelling notion that this Jesus did not just come to offer himself for the members of the house of Abraham, but for anyone who should find it in their hearts to believe in him. During this journey, they come by a body of water and the Ethiopian sees this body of water and he asks what, what is many scholars consider to be the key question 
of this, this whole interchange. Here is some water. What has rent me from being baptized? Now, it seems a simple enough question, right? He has heard the pitch. He's read the scripture. He has an apostle, somebody who seems to be learned in these things, who is explaining these things to him and telling him that he is welcome. He is welcome. He can be part of this faith. He can be baptized into this faith, and he can now be somebody who lives and breathes and and has his being in Jesus Christ. So the man sees the water, and he says, look, here's some water. What does prevent me from being entered into this household of faith? And before we deal with Philip's response, let's think about our household of faith as we have created it, the church universal. Churches have done a good job at making sure we create and establish parameters. And sometimes I don't think, well, sometimes we do it explicitly. Sometimes churches are just very good at saying who's in and who's out. But usually that stuff operates underneath the current. We all want a certain socioeconomic background. We, don't, we want people who've got a little scratch to them because after all, things need to be paid, individuals need to be paid. So we want to make sure that you know, you, we're not like checking wallets and, and, and handbooks when, when, they, when they come to the door, but there's a sense in which we kind of give them the once over. It's like, you know, what would they pull up in? What kind, what kind of car are they rolling? You know, is, it, is it a late model or is it some jalopy? There's a sense in which we size up individuals because there's a certain type of status that a, a church is, is judged by its sort of socioeconomic breakdown. We know this. We understand this. We fight against it. We consciously tell ourselves we shouldn't be like this, but then subconsciously still gravitate towards those who seem to be people who have means to an end. So when the question is asked, what is to prevent me from being baptized? What is to prevent me from being part of this community? (laughs) Depending on what church you ask, there's a lot of things that prevent you from being part of this community. First of all, you don't dress appropriately. You don't have the right education. You're not wealthy enough. You're not influential enough. You're not educated enough. You're not the right race. You're not the right gender. You're, You're weird. You use drugs. You've been in prison. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can use to say why we don't want you in our community. And we say it not to be offensive. We just say it to say, look, we have a certain standard of conduct here, a certain manner of life. We've worked hard to maintain that over many generations. We might even find ourselves to say that previous incarnations of our own congregation might not have had us as members. Right? If we just like showed up in 1913, because this church was here in 1913, we show up, we would come and say, uh-uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we, look, at, look, at how you're, look at your mannerisms. We can't have you here. You're like, but I'm a member of this church in the future. They're like, that's in the future. This is 1913, and we don't play that. So there's a sense in which we have to realize that there's this signal that we put out as church members of who's presentable and who should belong. We know we shouldn't, we fight against it, but yet it still happens because as we go and we look at houses of worship, they look a lot like us. And there's not too much deviation. Now, Philip is charged with the responsibility of an individual who doesn't look like him, right? First of all, he's an Ethiopian. Philip is a Jew. So he's not even in the same territory. He's a eunuch, so he's disfigured. We assume Philip was all man. I don't have proof of that, but you know the gospel would have told me otherwise. And there's a sense in which this man who is a slave and Philip being free, that there is no common ground between them except for the fact that they are both on the same page with the prophet Isaiah that the Ethiopian reads this prophecy and he wants to learn more about who's being talked about because there's something about this individual who just pours themselves out as a libation, somebody who gives their life as a ransom for others that he wants to know more about. And Philip says, you know what? It gets even better than that. Not only is this an incredible guy, 
And I knew him back in the day. But you can share in his entirety. Be baptized in his name. Philip doesn't put up the gates. He doesn't bar him from admittance. He says, be baptized in his name. The guy comes by. There's some muddy road, uh, water along the side of the road. The Ethiopian takes his cues. He says, here is some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And as far as Philip is concerned, nothing. Nothing is to prevent you. They get out of the carriage. They go into the water. Philip baptizes the man in the name of Christ. He rises up out of the water. The spirit leads Philip away. They never see each other again. And he even says that. Spirit whisked him away. He was just there for that one-time event, that one moment to bring someone into the household of faith. And it says that the Ethiopian went home praising God. And we are called to ask ourselves, what is he praising about? Is he praising because Philip has entered him into the household of faith? Is he praising because God had room for him? Is he praising him because now he can take this newfound knowledge and enthusiasm back home with him and maybe make other converts? We don't think about the power of being welcomed and the importance of being admitted until we are denied. We don't think about that. Many of us have been able to go wherever we want to, do whatever we want, stay as long as we like. Even if we get a little out of hand and maybe it's a celebration, a wedding reception or a a party, a birthday celebration and we get a few too many in us and start to make a little bit of a problem and nuisance of ourselves, even then we're not asked to leave. People say, well, you know, you know how they get at parties. You got to let it go. His wife will take care of him. She'll roll him in the car and get him home and he'll sleep it off. And we'll talk again because he didn't completely destroy the patio furniture. So we don't understand what was, we can't truly appreciate what was riding on this interaction between Philip, who's on the inside, who already has the blessing, who already has the affirmation, who is part of the household of faith, and somebody who's on the outside on every stretch of the imagination, racially, sexually, Regionally, he is on the outs, and yet Philip says, you can share in this. Last week, in the, in the passage that we had from the Gospels, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and there are other sheep who do not belong to this flock, but I come to call them also that they might be one flock. And then we follow it on the heels with this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we see right there, this is the flock that Jesus is talking about. These are the kind of individuals who are on the outskirts right now, but so sorely want to be in, and it's not our position to be able to dictate who gets admittance and who doesn't. The answer should always equivocally be, yes, you're in. If you want to share in this life, come in, let's be partners in the faith. What do we have to gain by keeping anyone away from this gospel, people who we can live and grow and learn things alongside them, learn from their wisdom, learn from their life experience? That's one of the exciting things about church is that because if you find this sort of uh, excellent diversity that you can have in a house of worship, you will come across opinions, you will come across wisdom, you will come across life experiences that you wouldn't find in our own circles of experience, in our own immediacy circles. Even in this place, even here in Northeast Iowa, in the Midwest, we can still find a diversity of opinions and life experiences that still add color and dimension and meaning to our life. Why would we want to say no to that? It is God, as we were reminded from the 23rd Psalm, who sets the table, who anoints our head with oil, who fills our cup to overflowing, and who allows us to be in the presence of those that we thought were enemies. And yet now, all of a sudden, God has called us into communion. This should be the go-to text whenever we're thinking about what more could we do, should we do, not only to live the gospel in the confines of this particular address, 429 Main Street as First Congregational, but just every day as individuals who are trying to hear and respond to the gospel.
we will be challenged. Our opinions will be challenged. Our nerves will be tested. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands whose nerves have been tested in the past year. Because I know that you guys would be like stretching, reaching for the sky and saying, yes, I have been stretched. So we know, we understand this, that our nerves have been tested sometimes by our own capacity. But yet we come to this gospel and Jesus says, not only do I bring you rest, but I bring it for everyone else who's weary. And just because we come here for respite for our souls and nourishment for our souls doesn't mean that there's not enough room for somebody else who might also need that. Churches, collectively, Christians, people of faith, need to work at reducing our exclusivity. Jesus doesn't belong just to us. I mean, he demonstrated that with the very living of his life going to the mat for the least of these, hanging and associating with people that even those in his own time says, you shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're sick or they're ill or they're widows or they're orphans or they're Gentiles. And you, mm, that's not what we do, Jesus. And he constantly kept coming back with more repeat actions of reaching out to the least of these. And because we see that image so rampant throughout the Gospels, Jesus constantly reaching out to those in the margins, don't you think that that should be part of the sort of salient message that he wants us to adopt even in this 21st century context? That he does not want us to malign, he does not want us to prejudge, he does not want us to sort of barricade ourselves away from the diversity that he has cultivated around us, which is what makes life so vital and rich. I just think the interchange between Philip, the old Philip would not have stood outside that carriage. The old Philip who felt that the Messiah only came for the house of Abraham would not have allowed himself to be led to that region that was outside of his district. But the Philip who was renewed with the Holy Spirit, the Philip who came to understand that God has expanded his understanding of the family, understanding his notion of the community, the Philip who has had his eyes opened to what it means of who truly is a brother or a sister, that Philip was willing to go to the far reaches in order that he might be able to win a convert in an unlikely place. Where are we allowed and willing to let God lead us where we too might be able to mint a convert in an unlikely place? Maybe at the beginning of my ministry, McGregor, Iowa was an unlikely place for me to do what I'm doing. Most likely it probably was. I didn't know this zip code at all. Didn't know it existed. There's probably a great many zip codes I didn't know existed, but I didn't know I'd be living in this one for the bulk of my life. Unlikely place to me. And for those of you who weren't born here, unlikely place to you too. But yet here we are. <laughs> right? Here we are in this place living, thriving, breathing, getting annoyed with one another, forgiving one another, hopefully, maybe not often enough, but we get around to it, and learning and growing. It's these unlikely spaces where God manifests and says, see, see, I told you. You didn't believe this could happen, did you? You didn't believe you could actually find your people in an unlikely place. You didn't believe that you could find members who were outside of your household that you call family. You didn't think it was possible. And we said, no, we didn't think it was possible. But that's the kind of incredible stuff that God does if we allow God to lead us. So we learn from both Philip and we also learn from the Ethiopian eunuch. We learn from them both. First of all, they had an openness to one another. They had the ability to at least not size them up and say, I can't talk to you, you're an Ethiopian. I can't talk to you, you're a Jew. <laughs> Get away from my carriage. 
So first of all, there was the openness to just say, maybe this person has something that might benefit me. Let's hang out for a while. Let's see where it goes. And now, by the end of the reading, by the end of the pericope, they become brothers in the faith. They never see each other again, but they will have that moment in time. They will have that anniversary. They will have the significance of that encounter in which one individual who understood the fullness of God bestowed it upon another who will now take that fullness and take it back to his region and do who knows what with it. I only wish that we could have heard more of that story. I would love to be, maybe there's some, some scriptures, Myron. Maybe there's some scriptures that have been written about what happens when this Ethiopian comes. How do we know he wasn't some great evangelist in his area? How do we know he's not celebrated in the Coptic church? We don't know this. But quite possibly with the enthusiasm that this individual had, that's the kind of enthusiasm that one doesn't keep undercover. And because of that encounter, because Philip didn't say, hold on now, baptism's not for you. This blessing is not meant for you. Because it didn't happen. Because Philip says, nothing's to prevent you from being baptized. Let's get in the water. Let's do this. As a result of that, this newly minted member of the household of faith can now go with all the exuberance that Jesus manifests in us and take it to his home region and do some good with it. That's the importance and the power of this text. That's why it continues to speak meaning in our lives to this day, where we want to pull back the reins, where we want to say, hold on now, where we want to say, well, we've got to think about this. God is saying, get out of the way. Let go. Stop trying to be so controlling. Stop trying to come with your judgments. These are my people, and they're going to be your people as well. And that might take a couple of passes for us to try to fully understand what that means. But I believe Jesus has been very clear and the work of his apostles has been very clear in terms of not getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit can and will do. Do not be an impediment to the power of God. Many have tried. I mean, many have tried. Both within the church and outside of the church, many have tried to suppress the gospel, have tried to kill it, have tried to pervert it, have tried to weaponize it, have tried to say, this gospel is not for you and your kind. Do you know, one of the arguments, this is a little historical note, one of the arguments that, that slavers made to continue to suppress uh, the, the African slaves was that, well, you know, don't teach them to read. Black men not smart enough to understand the gospel anyway. Their minds are, you know, three-fifths human being. They can't understand this. So they shouldn't be ministers. Well, like, obviously, I didn't get that memo. <laughs> but there's that understanding where it's like, when you know that there is power and liberation and vitality in this message, we can get very protective of it. We can get exceedingly protective of it and say, well, I don't know if I want everyone to know about this. Might give them hope. And I don't know if I want everyone to have hope. This has been said by our, our ancestors. Our spiritual ancestors have realized the power of this message and they've worked hard to make sure that not everybody hears it. But in this passage right here that we have, that predated all of our perversions of the gospel. It says right here, Philip to the Ethiopian, there is room for you. This is for the reason that the man went to the cross. That you can share in the fullness of this experience. So why should it be any different for us? Why should we con ourselves into thinking about, well, is there somebody that I can exclude? Is there someone that I don't want worshiping with me? Hmm. And, and put all of our best mental energy into locking down the gospel. Let's dis dispel those notions right now. Let's start thinking about who we've yet to encounter, who we have yet to attract, who we have yet to welcome, who we have yet to invite. I mean, I find it hard to believe that there are people in the world who still haven't heard this message, but there are. Mostly because someone who knows it has kept it from them. We're the guilty ones. We know it's good. 
We know it gives our life hope and meaning. We know it's delivered us from many times and snares. We know it's lifted us through the death of a loved one. We know it sustains us in so many different ways, yet still we don't talk about it with the kind of proficiency that we should because we don't really want anyone to know this treasure that we are sitting upon. We need to get more like Philip. The word of God calls, and he went. He didn't say, well, where am I going, God? Because if there's any Ethiopians involved, I don't want to (laughs) go. Right? How many of us get the call from God, and it's like, oh, I don't want to go there. Best two out of three, God. You know? Because if I got to go and see a sick friend, or I can go to the hardware store, or I can go to the ball game, hardware store or ball game. Don't let me see the sick. I don't want to see the sick friend today. Unless the sick friend happens to be at the hardware store or the ball game. Then I'll, then I'll deal with him. See, we bargain with God. Philip doesn't bargain with God. There's no bargaining with God. Philip hears the call. God says, I need you to go do this thing. Philip's like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> and it really should be that clean in our life. Our response to the gospel should be that clean. No debate, no bargaining, no weird uh, wrangling, looking for loopholes. A call from God to go and bring this life-giving gospel and bring this light into the life of somebody who is still wandering around in darkness and confusion. And then we hear that and we go. And we do not weaponize the message. We let it speak for itself because it's good without any of our meddling. Amen. We join together in our responsive hymn, number As we join together for our fellowship of prayer, let us submit our cares and concerns, our joys, before God. Probably lots of stuff going through our head, and many of it thinks that it has nothing to do with our faith, but our faith is designed to inform our daily walk. So come 
those of you who are heavy burdened and let God give us some rest. Let us pray. With certainty, loving God, we turn to you. The certainty that we have cultivated over time, a knowledge and awareness that life is burdensome. That it does not always unfold, even with careful planning, the way we would like. There are always wrinkles in the path, and we find ourselves having to reassess along the way, recalculate as our GPS tells us, because we lose our path. Forgive us for those times when we know that you were calling to us, asking us, encouraging us to drop our schedules and to redirect us, but the matter at hand was more pressing. So we didn't go, we didn't do the thing that you needed us to do in that moment. We didn't, shall we say, appreciate the gravity of the call. And we heard it, we just didn't feel it strongly enough. And times like that could be coming in very subtly and very profoundly. But unless we allow ourselves to say yes, this circuit is not completed. We find ourselves today at this point in time mourning the loss of Dallas Thompson. A young man with so much life stretched out before him, just getting established in his own career as an educator, shaping and transforming the lives of those who would hopefully go on to contribute in a variety of ways, thinking back on the lessons that Mr. Thompson had taught them. We ask ourselves, why did you cut his life so short? Why did you bring him this disease? Why take one so young? It is true, we will not have answers to these questions. We can only ponder what is to be gained from this man's departure. We will never have an answer to that. There'll never be a satisfactory answer to that. We grieve with the Thompson family, though. Their loss is deep. A hole has been ripped into the fabric of their lives. This time in the coming years will never be the same. Spring will always seem to have a little stain on it. May Day will always be met with a sense of sorrow and depletion. And as time stretches out before those he barely knew, his nieces and nephews, and as they grow up in the memory of their beloved uncle, the responsibility will be on those he leaves behind to tell his tale. So God, grant peace to we who mourn his passing we who have to live with the unanswered questions of his early demise, we who have to think about the call that comes to us to maximize every day you give us, because someday we won't get another one. Let your blessing of renewal land upon Owen Detman, who is home, recovering, bring pain relief and strength back to his body. We ask the same for Roger Dran, who now has to manage his pain because the only option they give him is pain management. There'll be no more operations. Help us to look at our lives not as dead-end possibilities, but to see that there is still some vitality in there. Help us 
to rise above the heavy-handed partisan opinions that seductively pull us in one direction or another, to think that that's the game we have to play in order to function appropriately in today's society and climate. Help us to think back at a time when our emotions weren't always being tested, where we weren't always forced to render an opinion, where we could just be. Help us to explore possibilities just for the sake of exploring. Not to draw conclusions, not to render a final opinion, but just to enjoy the exploration of thought. Help us to not be so quick to malign, judge, condemn, or dismiss those around us. As we emerge from our socially distanced cocoons, we've become so emotionally distant. And I think not only have, not only has the notion of neighborliness been tested, but our faith has been tested. I think we became estranged from you too, God, during the midst of it all. We seem to find you in less and less places. And as a result, our faith took a hit. So I'm glad that you are calling us back together, calling the flock back together, and allowing us to at least be in the presence of others to ponder openly these religious thoughts and to be comfortable with not always having the answers to enjoy the ride. We ask that you would receive the prayers that we, your people, set before you today. Bless us in our confusion. Bless us in the things that we think we know. Bless us in the places where we've been and hopefully the places where you were leading us. And may we not resist you too much when you invite us to go to some new destination and to encounter new and different thoughts and ideas, because what you will bring about will truly open our eyes and may yield an everlasting blessing. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. giving you thanks for receiving these, the prayers of your people. Hear them, O Lord, and remember us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
made them possible through a variety of ways. We ask that you would receive them and consecrate them for the sake of he who offered himself for us, Christ our Lord. Let us join together in our covenant on the front cover of our hymnal. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God of grace and glory, thank you for hearing our prayers, for your exceeding patience, and for the renewal that you breathe into us. We ask now that you would allow us to partake of this meal, to shake off ever so slowly the yoke of oppression which has kept us from glimpsing you and serving one another and allow us to move with, shall we say, a lighter countenance in the new ways of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The night he was betrayed, Jesus dined with his disciples, and he took bread and said, This is my body. It's been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Then they shared the cup, this cup, as Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us drink the cup of salvation. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Ministering to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I offer you the sacrament of Holy Communion, a prayer of thanksgiving. Giving you thanks, God, that is the easiest prayer to say sometimes the one that comes the hardest. Because in thanking you, we recognize that there was some deficiency on our part for which you assisted us, that you pulled us out of the quagmire and helped us land safely in a right. So we thank you for all those mistakes that have made up until this point. We thank you for all the observances that we didn't pursue because they just weren't pressing enough and you forgave us, we thank you. And for the renewal that you were going to give us to face this week and whatever it entails, we thank you. Amen. Let us join together in our closing hymn, number 588.
God of grace and God of glory, look with favor upon your people. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace.